Today's special episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street partners with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across the globe to develop community organising strategies and train leaders to build power from within their community. And in 2021, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories, inspire others, take action and organise communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Socially Democratic is also presented to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn is Australia's leading plant for law firm. The strength of Morris Blackburn comes from over 100 years of being on the side of working people and their unions, progressive organisations and the Australian Labor Party. Keeping everyday people safe at work is not just the core business of Morris Blackburn Lawyers, it's their guiding light. So their message for this special episode with Premier Andrews is easy. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for all that you and your government have done to keep us safe in 2020 and in 2021, and we'll keep fighting for fair alongside you all the way up to the election on the 26th of November, 2022. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your centre-left politics and organising podcast that dives into the progressive campaigns and the issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And on this week's episode, we are very much at home. We are joined by the Victorian Premier, Dan Andrews. That's it. That's all I need to say. I don't need to introduce uh, Dan in any other way. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. The episodes are up every Friday. And if you like the show, let us know by leaving us a review on either Apple Podcast or Podchaser. And for all the updates, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's special episode. We are taking this one on a Friday afternoon in free Melbourne, uh, as opposed to lockdown Melbourne. Um, and it's our first episode, actually, which we're filming a podcast, which is kind of a bit weird because I now feel the lenses of cameras on on, on us. Um, but this will be available uh, on our YouTube channel um, in the coming days. And it's also the very first episode that we've recorded since, or well, here in the Dunn Street Studios, uh, since December 2019 when we had Harriet Shing. Uh, on the the podcast Uh, and to mark this auspicious occasion we're joined by the premier of the great state of victoria and the member for mulgrave and another guest that is a product of the morris brothers education system premier dan andrews welcome to socially democratic very good to be here Stephen. and i hope i can fill the considerable shoes that harriet shing has left me to fill harriet fills these shoes a lot actually she's quite a regular guest she is a star indeed um, but yes, yes, we are free Melbourne. I am a product of Morris Brothers, Morris Brothers Education, and I don't know whether to be happy or sad about the fact that my voice wasn't enough. You had to film it, film it as well. <laughs> I know. Well, I've made the joke about this is strictly a um, audio medium simply because of you know my lack of good looks. But this is brave what we're doing right now. I think it is very much so. Let's just uh, jump straight into it. Um, you know, we've uh, you made an announcement last week. Um, with sort of, I guess, the remaining restrictions that um, are here in Victoria being basically lifted. It feels like we're now returning yeah. to a level of normality. Well, look, this is the thing. Having got to 90% and heading towards 95% double dose, and let's assume boosters roll out in a relatively orderly way and we get the paediatric vaccine done in good time as well, people have done what we asked them to do, and that was to you know, go and protect themselves and protect everybody. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It's mm. an absolutely remarkable thing. I don't think anyone predicted that we would get to these sorts of numbers. Now, there's, there, 
we've, we've kind of helped that along a bit by making some tough calls, but I think by and large people have done uh, what we've asked them to do because just like the government, the people of Victoria support the science, they support logic and, uh, and they support each other. Mm. And, you know, you might be fine, although this virus, and particularly Delta, is very, very random. There's lots of people who never thought they'd get sick that have got sick, and some have got very, very unwell. So for every good reason, getting vaccinated, playing your part, doing the right thing, that's all terrific. Uh, but yeah, we wouldn't be here without some of the decisions that we've, that we've made. But in any event, the good news is that just about all the rules, if you have been double dose double dose protected by one of those COVID-19 vaccines, then you are free and clear. The place is open. There's no limits. There's no, no density quotients. There's no rules, really. A few mask rules, and that's basically it. If you're not, if you're not vaccinated and you've made that choice, which is the wrong choice, uh, then there are a whole bunch of rules and you're closed out of a whole lot of different things. But that won't be there forever. But it's important now as we try and get every single person over the line and get to 95, hopefully. Have you had a chance to get out onto the uh, golf course and have a bit of a hit? Well, I had a bit of a, I've had a bit of a double challenge. One is COVID rules, and golf's been av- been allowed for a while now. But I waited till the lockdown was done before I headed out. I just didn't think it was a particularly good look to be out playing golf while people were still locked at home. Yeah. Uh, but once we hit the seventy percent, we opened up. I went I went and played pretty much the following morning, and after and given between back injury and and lockdowns. I hadn't played for like eight months. Mm, bit rusty. So of course I played. No, I played brilliantly. Oh wow! Because I wasn't thinking about it. Ah. The, I've had two or three games since. Not quite so good. Right. Not quite so good because you start, you you overcomplicate things. You absolutely over overthink it. But that morning, I must say, after eight months and a pretty pretty rough ride, for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that, that three hours on the golf course more than I've enjoyed it probably ever, I reckon. During uh, lockdown, I don't know if you had a chance to get sort of even like sort of the clubs out in the backyard. My old man, who loved um, his golf being Scottish, obviously the inventor of the game. Indeed. Uh, would, we lived opposite a graveyard in Warrigal and dad would go in the front yard and with his pitching wedge <laughs> just pitch... We shouldn't laugh. I'm pra- sorry. That's practice. Deeply inappropriate. Pra- practice. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the cemetery trust should have taken action <laughs> they, against your father. They, they really should have. But yes. of a summer evening, Dad would be out there in the front yard just pitching shots into the cemetery. And his son, Stephen Donnelly, would be at the other end catching them with his oh, this is this, With the baseball mitt. Yeah. With the, yeah. Oh. Look, it's a, it is a terribly addictive game. It is a terribly addictive game. And the, the hardest part about it is time. Like it's, it's, mm. it's not a quick game. It could be a lot quicker if we were... A, a bit yep. less serious about it, you know. Yep. Hit it, find it, hit it again. Um, none of us are going to make a living out of this. Like in, it's, it is a, it is a game. Yeah. Um, I, I play very early in the morning, usually first out before everybody else, and I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm home at a pretty good hour. Yeah. Two and a half hours, and I've done eighteen. Yeah. I've raced around, or I play last in the last couple of hours of light. Yep. Uh, I just I don't have the patience these days to sit behind groups of people who are literally taking twice as long as they should take to play to play the game but look to be out to be open to be free to be enjoying whatever your poison is whether it's golf or 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 whatever else uh it's it's an amazing achievement it is an amazing achievement and victorians should be should be proud of each other i'm certainly proud of them and very very grateful to them many victorians who were i guess in office-bound jobs found themselves working from home for a long period of time over the last um two years now i guess 
you yourself myself included, included yes how did it go running the victorian state government from your lovely home in your electorate of mulgrave well kath works from home so that meant there was both of us kind of trying to share spaces it's not it's not a it's not a shoebox house it's you know there's a bit of room there but uh that was a little bit challenging from time to time but i'll tell you what i've i've settled into it i it's so much more efficient if you live so i live, we live about 25 k's from the city but that can be an hour on the freeway each mm. each way and that's time that you're not spending in the car it's time you're not spending uh, away from family you can get so much done not every day and obviously not for every worker but we'll try and retain elements of it so you know, whereas cabinet will probably meet in in person some of the subcommittees of cabinet i think will will we'll keep those will keep those virtual just because it makes sense people are coming from all corners of the state mm. uh you know te- technology such now that you can you can pretty much have the meeting wherever you are yeah so yeah i i think that because after the first wave uh there was quite a bit of discussion about well there's been this transition wouldn't it be great if we could try and hang on to elements of this it'd be great for the freeway network great for public transport and, you know, take some of the pressure off our systems and things. And we talked about building suburban hubs and all sorts of different stuff so people could, could kind of hot desk. But then the second wave came and, of course, the virus comes from Sydney last year, sorry, this year, and we have pretty much the whole year locked down. This is not a concept anymore. Like, mm. people have done this for long enough now that I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to stick. Yeah. Uh, and that means that CBDs here and in regional Victoria and, and, and centres of activity in the outer suburbs are going to have to change because I just don't think it's... It's not 100% of people coming back 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. That's, that's not the reality anymore. Yeah. Cast your mind back to early 2020. Um, when was the moment that you understood that this COVID coronavirus um, that was starting to come into our community was serious and that it required a, a serious response from government? I remember we had a series of meetings that, that culminated in me dragging all the journos down to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. We went into the ICU, into a brand new part of that intensive care unit, which was just being opened. It was a, another 40 beds, I think, from memory. And uh, I, I distinctly remember running through all the things that were going to change, not necessarily that day, but mm-hmm. they were going to change in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, and I talked about school being shut and people having to stay at home and all these sorts of things, and that's what a pandemic meant. And I've got this vivid memory of all the journos in the kind of horseshoe um, not looking at their phones anymore, Mm. not following what was happening on Twitter, but looking up at me and listening and leaning forward. And I thought, yeah, this is is serious, isn't it? Everyone needs to focus on this because this is what's coming. It's going to be like nothing you've ever uh, experienced. That's if it's successful. Mm. If it's unsuccessful, then we're going to finish up like... Well, like Europe finished up, like so many states in the United States finished up, like so many countries across the world where the hospital system just gets completely smashed. Uh, You've got to say no to so many COVID patients. You've got to say no to so many people who are not in the hospital for COVID. They're there for a heart attack or a car accident or a stroke or cancer or whatever it might be. They didn't choose to be there, but they need urgent care and there's just no room for them. So, yeah, the days leading up to that, media event were it was very real very very real and of course well it's it's there's no question about it being real now this has been everybody's reality for a long time and it's been painful it's been challenging it's also been some positives out of it too yeah 
I think I was in denial until the um, NBA season was cancelled and then I realised it was serious, but up until that point... Well, there was, you go. We've all got our own uh, barometers yeah. of these things. <laughs> we do. ICU capacity was what really tipped me I feel like yours still, as long as, long as an American sport was your guiding <laughs> principle, that's fine. Whatever your North Star is, mate, that's exactly. absolutely fine. I feel fine. like your, your answer's probably better than mine. It's absolutely that's fine. You're in politics and I'm not. Um, how did you step through, um, in your mind, what was required in the early stages of the, the virus? Well, we had a, there was a pandemic plan and, you know, you kind of dust that off and you have a think about these things and try and work through logically, you listen to all the experts. The fact of the matter is, though, that a lot of it was not really known. Mm. Like, we, we haven't been through this at, at this level of intensity, this level of in, infectivity, uh, this level of tragedy uh, for basically 100 years. You know, we had, we've had Ebola, we've had some other SARS viruses, but they've not... They've not been at this level of intensity. They've not spread as rapidly. They've not been a global challenge. They've been, they've been challenging, but they haven't been anywhere near this. So some of it's kind of, you know, even with the best laid plans, you've still got to learn and adapt as you go. Uh, but look, the best thing to do and the only thing to do is you listen to the people who've dedicated a lifetime to knowing about public, pardon me, to knowing about public health, to, be, to knowing about infectious diseases, yeah. to knowing things about how health systems work. The other way to put that is you have to listen to the science. You have to be fact-based. And uh, one of the most disappointing thing, things out of this is that you know, there are some people for whom science, it, they're, just not, they're just not interested. Mm. They're not interested in facts. They're not interested in logic. They're not interested in, you know, even conceding that the virus is real. Yeah, um, It's very real and it's people who are not vaccinated that are sitting on machines to breathe at the moment. Like it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated and the people who are gravely ill, uh, nine out of 10 have not had one or two doses of the COVID-19 COVID vaccine. So, you know. Over the course of the past 20 months, what have you learned about the character of the Victorian people in rising to the challenge and the things that you have asked and the things that your government have asked of the, pe the people of Victoria to respond to? Well, we've asked some extraordinary... Well, we have asked people to do some extraordinary things, absolutely extraordinary things, unimaginable uh, in any other context. So I think, it's, it's for me, it's kind of defined by that sense of unity. It's been tiring, it's been challenging, there's been fatigue, there's been you know, crankiness, all of that sort of stuff, right? And we absolutely get that. No one wanted, after having gone through what we went through in 2020, no one wanted to have to saddle up again, mm. uh, uh, principally because the right decisions were not made in other states. Health advice was not followed. Lockdowns did not occur fast enough. Mm. Uh, all of that, I can't change any of that, but I feel obliged on behalf of Victorians you know, and, to, and, to, and to think that, you know, we had some of the very same people who were just mercilessly bagging Victoria uh, as, 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 often as, they, as often as they could. In any event, we've asked an, an awful lot of people. They've done amazing things. And sometimes it's big stuff, like we've re achieved 90% double dose, or we've driven cases down to zero, or whatever the metric may be. But for me, the, the greatest measure is just the, the untold number of, of acts of kindness, small acts of kindness. Courage and kindness, that's the story of the last couple of years. We've proven ourselves as a community to be tough, um, but, but to be incredibly compassionate, incredibly concerned about others, whether we know them or not. And um, that's why we've acted, you know, in, act, acted so, 
swiftly and in such amazing numbers to get mm. vaccinated at these levels is not just nationally significant, it's globally significant. Mm. And it's such a great credit to everybody who's done it. But it's been it's been bloody tough. Mm. And there's still a lot of healing, a lot of repair and, and damage that needs to be dealt with. And we'll and we'll get on with that. We we already are, but Victorians have done an amazing thing. We're pretty tough. Mm. And we're but we're also proud of each other and we're proud of what we stand for. And I don't think any of us have enjoyed some of the some of the sniping and the sledging from the sidelines. I think we've been genuinely offended by that. Mm. Uh, but in any event, we're open now. We're more open than New South Wales. In fact, we have less rules than New South Wales. Just a small thing. It is actually funny because I think Victorians culturally are less parochial historically about being Victorian. Unless and until we're um, provoked right? in some of the most obscene terms possible. And the worst part about it is we've had people who would who are Victorians and who, who would claim to understand Victoria, even have got leadership positions within various governments who have not necessarily been faithful to their own state. They thought they were bagging me. Mm. They genuinely thought they were bagging me and that there'd be some sort of political advantage. Turns out they were bagging the people of this state because we were united yeah. to get through this. You know, no politician caused this. Uh, this is not an easy time to lead. Uh, you know, no one wants to have to do this sort of work if you can avoid it. Yeah. But there is no avoiding it. Yeah. And sniping from the sidelines, people spot that for what it is. That's about that person. It's about their ambition and them trying to curry favour. Victorians, in my judgement, and over a long period of time, not just the pandemic, but in... In, in, in the broadest context, they're not about that sort of stuff. They're about each other. They're about, you know, evidence and facts and science and being thoughtful. This is the centre of critical thought for a reason. It's also the centre of philanthropic giving. It's the centre of um, arts and culture. It's, it's the centre of so many things. It's the economic centre of our nation. Uh, and we don't take too kindly to people, you know, kind of enjoying our misery. Mm. And, and there was... There was considerable, like it was really tough. It was really, really tough. You uh, stood up and delivered 120 uh, COVID press conferences in a row. Yes, I, you, I'm starting to. <laughs> yes. And and I, I guess I don't think you you at the time realised that that was what was going to happen, um, but in the end it did. This consistency of doing this, um, where um, other politicians wouldn't they would take a day off or they wouldn't do it on the weekend but you stood up for every single one of those and i think a long time a lot of victorians were there with you time. on that journey and it almost almost became like a tv series where there was a protagonist a very bad one yeah, yeah. well one that we couldn't <laughs> one that we all you know tuned in at 11 o'clock or whatever it was every morning yes. to watch right there was a protagonist there was there was you there and was the, whoever was in charge of uh, con, con and whoever was in charge of continuity for that tv series would have got <laughs> fired none of us could have a haircut we all, I think, you know, progressively looked more and more haggard, I think. But look, at the end of the day, I knew it would take a while and we'd be there for a good, you know, it wouldn't be 20 press conferences, it wouldn't be 50. Yeah. It, it was going to be a really long, hard slog to, to get the cases down to very low numbers. And unless they got to low numbers, they wouldn't stay there for very long. We had to wipe it out. Uh, 120 days, I wasn't quite certain whether it would be that long. But look... Uh, I was brought up to know and understand that you can't ask people to do what you're not prepared to do. Mm. You can't ask people to work harder than you're prepared to work. So being there every day was important for me 
and and I think it was important for the state as well to see that you know that there was that kind of continuity that there was uh, stability that there was a plan and that the plan was working and that yep. we were all working as hard as we possibly could so whether it was entertainment <laughs> I don't know about that um, uh, there was a little bit of soap opera every now and then it got a bit heated from time to time That's it. but you know again you can't ask people to do what you are not prepared to do and the good thing the special thing was not how many press conferences and how long they went for and all of that. The special thing was that Victorians did what had to be done despite the fact that it hurt and that it was really, really painful. That's why we got the numbers down to zero. That's why we were open and we were open for the longest time. Mm. Um, then we had a couple of incursions, one from Sydney, one from Adelaide. And then of course we had this third wave, uh, uh, which has been so, so challenging for 2021. But look, yeah, I, I wouldn't want anyone to think that, that we regard our pandemic response across the board as having been perfect. Of course it wasn't. Um, there are things that if you could go back and change them, you would, but we don't have the benefit of doing that. What we, what we were always focused on, though, is doing, working as hard as we could, um, doing the best that we could, uh, and trying to keep people safe. And you know, it, it is a, where we find ourselves now is an absolute credit to, not to the government, it's a credit to nurses and doctors and people working at testing stations, people working in uh, laboratories, people working at state vaccination clinics uh, and just ordinary hard-working people mm. rolling up a sleeve. They weren't going to protests. They didn't go to protests. They went to a state vax hub and they got the vaccine and that's why we're open and that's why we're safe. In public narrative, we talk about, um, you know, the two parts of the story um, is... Uh, obviously the story of self but the story the st sorry obviously the story of self yes but the story of us and the story of now and the story of us requires shared experiences and shared moments and I found that the the daily press conference was a sh moment of us every single day I remember walking to get a coffee um, moments before one of the you know I don't know what, what number are you up to at that point in time but I was going through one of the alleyways in Melbourne in the CBD and it was um a backdoor to a restaurant that was making lunches for you know takeaways and stuff and one of the chefs was just having a durry on the back step with his phone and he yells out back into the kitchen um you know andrews is about to get up now fellas you've and you've you've cleaned that up haven't you he, i'm sure you used some <laughs> other wonderful no but wonderful it, term to describe it, me no it, that's all right but the 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 no, there's no there's no doubt that it that became and the audiences the audiences and you know uh were just absolutely uh, phenomenal, uh, absolutely phenomenal. In any event, uh, by and large, it was journalists doing their job, me doing my job, uh, just giving people the information they needed, trying to answer every question. If you couldn't answer it, then following up, giving people that sense of certainty that, that look, we're all doing everything we can. We're asking you, you to do a lot. We're absolutely asking you to do heaps. But at the same time, um, there is there is a plan, and if we all do as we've been asked to do, if we all follow that plan, we will get there in the end. But the, the, they gave me some audience numbers at one point, um, which is you know wonderfully helpful to know that you you know talking to a million people live. And but it was it was and that's, it, it that's became so a, it unique, became a, it? Yeah, it is, and it became a place where people could go and get. Well, I would say trusted updates on what was happening, the actual case numbers, the trend, all the yep. modelling, the changes in restrictions, all of those things. Uh, yeah, would I want to go back and do it again? Uh, no, uh, and I don't think we ever will. I don't think we'll have to go back and do that again. And that's 
that's all down to the fact that people have gone and protected themselves with a vaccine that is not only free and safe, but it's incredibly effective. Uh, and along the journey, you know, people contributed heaps. That's, that's why we're here. Had you considered at the time when you were going through that, that in terms of pu- your public leadership and how you communicate and use the tools, the various communication tools available to you to communicate to the Victorian public that this is the story of us, but this is also the story of now, here's the urgent threat we're facing and I need you with me on this. Yeah. Um, I mean, how important was well, those you got, moments? Well, uh, look, you, it, it's, you're not, it isn't about being scripted. It isn't about kind of, oh, we should test what messaging works best. It's, it's, that's, there's no place for that. What it is, despite what some people think, mm. there is no place for that. Um, what, what you've got to do is you've got to be, be yourself because people spot a bullshitter a mile off. If you're up there pretending to be somebody else, if you're up there pretending to be, well, pretending at all, then you will get found out. Yeah. And you're not, you're not I'm, I wasn't there selling anything. In fact, there were, for the longest time, uh, despite the work, the work I do and the fact that everyone thinks every politician is always about the next vote and the next election, uh, politics was the furthest thing from not just my mind, it, was just, it just was not relevant. Mm. Like we're in completely uncharted waters. How it looked, how it sounded. Of course I was concerned about how people reacted because I needed people to follow, follow the plan and, and stay at home and do all these extraordinary things. But I was less concerned about what they thought of me. And my judgment was if, we just, if, we get, if we've got a strategy, if we explain it, if we talk up to people, like take people with you, explain the science and why we have to do all sorts of things, that are quite unheard of, then people would follow, and, they, and there would be a sense of trust and faith. And 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 look, not 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 for nothing. It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long ago. Going back to that time, it was only a short while previous to that that the Victorian community had re-elected us and given us a, a very strong endorsement. So we had we had some goodwill and, and some support to to be able to trade off and. You know, I've, on more than one occasion, I thought, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to think about me by the end of this, but we've just got to push on, yeah. and we can't be distracted by that. If you try and be popular, if you try and, you know, it's not about currying favour with people. It's a pandemic for heaven's sake. Mm. And if you get it wrong, if you if you go cheap on it, and just do the sort of low road stuff where I'll try and please everybody, then that's a cat, just catastrophic. You cannot do that. You just can't do it. And I think people respect. I think people respected the fact that that I was there every day, and not just me, all of us, the whole team were there every day and night doing the work, uh, following the logic of it all, uh, and not pandering, not trying to play games, but instead just doing what the health advice said would work, and ultimately it did. We got down to zero cases precisely on the day that the modelling said we would. We, um, when we think of leadership, I guess it's a lot of the times we think about it through the prism of publicly elected um, politicians, but obviously leadership can manifest itself in so many other different ways. I'm interested in getting your thoughts on the role that community leaders played in working with the government um, to um, help with these restrictions and help get people vaccinated, all the different various strategies that the government was trying to roll out over the course of the last two years. Just talk about th- talk us through some of those experiences and some of the heroes that existed in that community. Look, I think ultimately uh, any, any effective... Any effective communication or any effective execution of a plan, particularly if it's a complex plan uh, and, and the challenge is a complex one, 
you need trusted voices. You need people who just inherently uh, people gather, um, people are drawn to. So trusted voices, when it, whether it's in a faith community, trusted voices in a multicultural community, trusted voices based on uh, which language is, is, is spoken at home. Uh, our, our diversity is our greatest strength, but it does from time to time present us with some significant challenges. Uh, but not to, that's not the only example, but to use that as an example, we've had probably, I think, deeper, more significant engagement with uh, multicultural leadership as we knew it at the time, and then a whole new, a whole new group uh, a whole new group of people who've become leaders in multicultural and multi-faith communities. People who are trusted and people who can, who, could, who could spread the word, who could provide advice, assistance, information, give people a sense of control, mm. give people a sense of certainty in the most uncertain times. Like Basha Hooli, just a champion, absolute champion, done so much work within the uh, Islamic community, uh, him and his family, that's just one example. There are many, many people who've really stood up. They're not formal leaders in that sense. They're not the chair of a committee or the president of a, of a, of a group, but they've stood up and, and used and allowed us to use their trusted position, their standing, the, 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 the very high regard and the, and, and the confidence people have in them uh, for, well, basically to save, to save lives. Mm. So I'm deeply grateful to all of them. And the challenge now is we're having a discussion. We had a discussion about this yesterday, actually, uh, amongst a number of ministers. Is to hang on to some of those networks to actually feed them and enhance them, yeah, right. and make sure because if they can work for this uh, in a kind of negative context, they can work in a positive context as well uh, around a whole lot of other health stuff. Um, trying to promote people to to go and get screened, to get tested, to be active, to be fit, uh, to trying to encourage people to avail themselves of all the different grant programs that are available, not just as a community, but as a person. So, you know, this is, I think, one of the ways we make sure, for instance, that everybody knows about free TAFE, for instance, mm. and goes and enrolls in a course to be part of the economy of the future. These networks, I think, will have a residual benefit, an enduring benefit. And that, that's, not, that's not having a go at those who might be seen as the kind of traditional leaders, but we've, they've done an excellent job, a fantastic job, but we've also found this new group of people. So... Yeah, it, uh, earlier I said that there are some positives even out of the most difficult circumstances. But that, that engagement, and it's not just multicultural, it's in many different ways, in many, many different well. ways. Oh, absolutely. Mm. You think about it. Actually, we should do another example. Do another example. Shepparton. I, I reckon just about everybody in Shepparton has been tested more than once. They have queued up through outbreak after outbreak and just extraordinary resilience, extraordinary strength, extraordinary bond between each, between each other. Mm. It's it's a proud community, but there are some people in Shepparton that do it pretty pretty tough. It's a very, very diverse community, one of the most diverse in regional, not just regional Victoria, but regional Australia. Uh, talk about step up and like amazing. At one point we had, we had something like 15,000 people in ISO at home because they were either a primary or a secondary or a tertiary contact. The whole yeah. town was shut down basically. But they, but they stuck together. They were unified. That came from leadership, not leadership from from us. Uh, but you look at a person like uh, Susanna Sheed, independent member, uh, person of absolute integrity, real leader in her community, not just the elected leader, a real leader in her local community, turned her office into 
essentially this kind of uh, relief centre mm. and was ferrying out you know, hampers and food parcels to all manner of different people. Uh, so whether it's in regional Victoria, whether it's sort of formalised leaders stepping up and doing quite extraordinary things like uh, Susanna or faith or multicultural leaders and then a new generation of people in those same communities stepping up who probably would never have done that before. Uh, we've seen some extraordinary, extraordinary things. And it hasn't always been easy for some of those people to stand up and say, look, I know you don't like this yeah. lockdown, I know you don't like these rules, and I know that these rules over here don't make any sense to you and whatever it might be. It's not been, it's not been the easiest thing to sell to people, but they've done it. Mm. They've, they've had, they too have had faith in science and, and, and the fact that we just had to do some tough stuff to get to the other, the other side of this. So preserving as much of that as we possibly can and actually empowering it uh, and seeing more of it and putting it to good use as well as dealing with crises, that's a, it's a challenge for us. And it strengthens our democracy as well. I think it's a very yeah, absolutely. It's a good, it's a good project. Absolutely. George, George uh, Megalogenis, one of my favourite writers, uh, wrote a column last weekend arguing that Australians don't respond too well to governments that seek to undermine the services that they provide. Um, I think uh, talk about Medicare and what happened to Abbott's leadership, hmm. um, the independent arbitration system we have and John Howard losing the um, OSET yep. and his own seat. Yep. Um, yet we have the Prime Minister at the moment almost framing up this argument that Australians want small government. And I just want to get your thoughts on that given what we've just gone through where there's been so much government intervention into protecting exactly. our community. Yeah, I made some comments the other the other week that were that were I was pretty plain about it. You know, I was offended on behalf of all Victorians that the Prime Minister couldn't simply on the day we hit on the day we hit eighty, the day we opened up, I, I was just staggered that, and and more, indeed even more recently on the day we hit ninety, or at least what I was most disappointed was that the Prime Minister on the day where we were free and we were open and all the rules were coming off because of the vaccination levels and because of the extraordinary thing that Victorians had done. He couldn't simply say, well done, mm. and by the way, uh, if it's not peaceful, it's not protest. Mm. Why that was beyond him is beyond me. And I called it out. And uh, some may think that that's because I was all upset because my family had been threatened. Look, of course, that's important to me. But it's not just about my family's safety. It's about every family's safety. Uh, I don't know where they're at at the moment. They have lost their way. I don't know what they're for. I don't know what their agenda for the future is. I, Yeah, look, that, that's not a matter for me, though. Uh, people across our country will make their judgments on who they want to be the Prime Minister and who they want to govern our country. Uh, I would advise anybody, anybody in politics... Uh, as soon as the community works out that you're in this for yourself and that your agenda is about you and not about them, I don't think they'll stick with you for very, very long. Paul Keating, Paul Keating said to me, he's a dear friend and someone that I have the greatest respect for, uh, in the lead up to 2014, where you know, with the support of the Victorian community, we were able to unseat and, and make a Liberal National Government a one-term government, first time in half a century or more, uh, he said to me in the lead up to the election, he says, if they, if they, as in if the people of Victoria, if they get a sense, if they're clear and they're confident that you want it so you can work for them, they'll give it to you. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. They gave us that amazing gift. That's what I said on election night that night. It's a, it, it, is, it is the most precious gift. 
But then you've got, you've got the opportunity and you're obligated to get on and do something with it. And, you know, I, I, this kind of small government nonsense, that stuff might work in the US. It's not, it's not, it's not who, who we are. It's not, it's not who we are. We, we know and understand that, that there's a role for government. It's not to be running everything, but there's a role for government and we pay a level of taxation that means we are entitled to having a good universal health system, a good universal education system, and education choice. Mm. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what those sort of people are on about. I really can't work, can't, can't work that out. That American stuff, that Tea Party nonsense, uh, it, let alone Trump nonsense, it doesn't work here. Mm. It looks, which we me. should be really proud of. Actually. Yeah, I, yeah, we should be bloody proud of that. But I, uh, obviously, I agree with you on that, but it just looks like the way that certain members of the Victorian Liberals are playing footsies with this radical uh, far-right anti-vaxxer community mm. that um, they're almost choosing the path of taking politics down the direction of sort of truth versus fiction, and they're on the side of uh, well, fiction. And I just yeah, don't well, understand what... Well, that's just a stupid well, strategy. Yeah, where, where we don't... Look, obviously, violence is never acceptable in any context, in any context. Uh, but what, what's also, and, and it's sometimes very scary, very scary, but what's also scary is this notion that, like, we actually, in the world today, we actually have, uh, in so many important areas, we have no settled and accepted truth. Like, facts no longer matter mm. for many people. You simply make up your own facts. I do my own research. I don't like your facts, mm. and therefore I'm going to have my own facts, my own truth, my own... My own, my, my own right and righteous path. Mm. Uh, no, that's not how a civil society operates. That's not how the rule of law works. That's not how logic and, you know, intelligence works. And if I have one more of these people send me a thing about, oh, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The virus is real. It's got nothing to do with 5G. Mm. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll kill you uh, if... And if we hadn't have acted the way we had, then, well, you, you really don't want to think about how bad things would have got here. So it's a triumph of what government in partnership with community can do. Uh, a lot of pain. No one's diminishing that. Uh, but I, I, I am offended on behalf of all Victorians who've done the right thing that we've got some people who just can't find it in themselves to say, well done, mm and to speak out against extremism. And then you've got other people who are actually looking... It's a preference hunt, Stephen. It's a preference hunt. And, it's a, and imagine being beholden to these people. Mm. Imagine being beholden yeah. to people with, who, who make up their own facts um, are so far down various internet rabbit holes, it's just not... You, know, you can't even describe it. Uh, you know, protest is legitimate. You'll always see me defend it. And yes, there are some people out there that are angry and... And that, and that are, are upset with the way the last two years have gone. I understand that. But violence and this kind of extremism stuff, there's no place for that. There's no place for that in our society, let alone in our politics. Where you stand on issues matters, but who you stand with is just as important. And we've seen some people who, who, uh, who are very critical of us uh, standing and sharing a stage. The other side of politics, sharing a stage with these people. What 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 is it they want? They actually want someone to get to get hurt. Mm. Problem is, and, and look, we've probably spent more time than we needed to talking about it. Uh, we're not divided. We're in fact united 
90 plus percent, more than nine in 10, have gone and got vaccinated. They weren't listening to these anti-vax uh, extremists. If they had been, well, we wouldn't be here talking about 90%. Yeah. We wouldn't be open and we wouldn't be, wouldn't be safe. Next year, we're 12 months out from the 2022 state election. Yes. Um, and before we talk a bit about that, I, I kind of want to go back actually to 2010 after we lost um, the, uh, the, that, that, uh, that, that state election that year. And that, were, that was a bad day that day. Yeah, and one that kind of... Bad day that I remember day. that. I remember I always hand out at the same booth. Uh, and federal and state elections. So you get a you know, everyone, everyone, everyone went on polling day... Um, when you've got not much else to do, everybody gets on the phone, what's the, what's the mood like? What's the mood like? Um, if you do the same booth over a long period of time and it's your own community, it's where you live, you've got a sense of it, you, you, can, get, you, can, get a, you, can, you can sort of suss out the mood. It's yeah. not scientific, but you, no. you know when it's going yeah. well and you know when it's going badly. Yep. That day I can remember the mood was not good. I had, and I had a number of people come up and say, oh, look, one more time, one, I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you because I, I knew them, people, mm. school parents and yeah. other people that I knew in the local community. But that, that was not a good day and I kind of had a sense. And then I had to go and do the ABC panel for what felt like a week. It was, <laughs> it was about six hours. I sat next to Virginia Trioli for what was the longest time, such a long night. And in the end it all ended up with us not knowing although I think we kind of did know yeah. that it was, it was gone. And, yeah, they're, they're, they're very difficult nights. You, um, obviously John Brumby um, resigned as the leader of the Labor Party and you put your hand up. And I'm interested in getting your thought process on that because some politicians can be a little bit cute and think, mm, been in government for 11 years, there's a new government in, we're probably going to have to sit on the bench for a while. Now isn't the time for me to make this run. You mm. weren't cute. You actually put your hand up, and here you are now. It wasn't into... exactly a Caulfield Cup field, mate. <laughs> well, but even still, no, but <laughs> no I could. No, you're right. I could. I could. I could have said no. I could have said no, no, yep. no. I think I'll sit this out. Yeah. Uh, what was going through your mind at the time? Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I told the caucus at the very first meeting. I, I remember standing up, up in the caucus. You know. Who, who puts their name forward, I stand up, no one else does, so it's me, and I'm you know, called upon to give a, give a speech. So I get up and I said, our worst days are in front of us if we don't. Like last Saturday, or two weeks ago it would have been, uh, election day, that's not our lowest point, that's mm-hmm. not our worst day if we don't run and run to win. We have got to run to win. We've got to take risks, we've got to have firm positions, we've got to have policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to get out there and listen. We've got to demonstrate to people that that we want this not for ourselves, but for them, for the things we can do for them. Mm. And we're not looking to defend the status quo. We're not looking to get in just to keep the to kick the libs out. We want the job because we know it's hard. We want the job because we know that's how you get things done. So that's what was in my head, and I'm sure I'm sure that a number of them sort of you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. It, you, yeah, you know this. This guy's anyway. Yeah. I'm sure there was a there was a diversity of views. I'm sure mm. about how likely it was that we would be able to achieve what seemed for some completely impossible. But look, without re, without going back over the you know, others can write opinions and books and histories and all these sorts of things. That's not for me. But uh, we well, there were there were various various opportunities that presented themselves through hard work, through listening, 
through inviting the community into our policy development process. Like, here you go, here's the pen, you write the policy. Yeah. Like, and if you do that, if you do that, there's, no one should be surprised that the community votes for something that came from them. Yeah. So that, that was a really important part of, of that, that four-year journey. Then we were given a few opportunities because the government of the day kind of kept presenting itself as a government that was about itself and not about the people of the given region or the yeah. state. So in any event, a uh, lot of hard work and four years later, my, my thesis was proven right that it was, in fact, uh, you have to run to win. Yeah, otherwise, you, you kind of get swept away and people will make the, make the choice to support the government. Uh, so you've got to keep working. And, that, and then part of that, part of that I think is, well, sorry, that thinking and that culture explains the way we've governed seven years later. Yep. We haven't wasted a moment. Uh, we've got more things being built, more reform being delivered, more activity and energy and urgency than any government, I think, in the history of our state. And that's what our state needs. Because there's a lot of catching up to do, there's a lot of a lot of unfinished business, and all of that will be on the ballot at the end of next yeah. year. It's not just what we've done; it's what's in process at the moment and what needs to be done. And if you change the government, then there's no guarantee that all the things that have been happening continue. Uh, almost certainly, many of them many of them won't. We've had uh, this is our 116th episode. 116. 116. Well, now I feel offended. You should have had me along for the 120th. Well, you know, you There's were... There's some symmetry there. You were a little bit busy for... Was a bit. 90 through to, you know, well, probably earlier well, than good that. on you. And is the audience growing? It is. Always. Excellent. Always. That wasn't supposed to be a trick question. No. Um, I had to double check. You did, you did pause growing? there for a moment. <laughs> you did pause there for no, a moment. No, it is growing. Always growing. Good. It's Excellent. Up, That's good. four to at least 16 tops. That's good. Uh... We've had a number of guests on the show, both um, uh, Labor Party people here in Australia, but also so Social Democrats from around the globe. And the age-old question on the show is called Social Democratic, and we're talking about you know the Social Democratic. Thank you, uh, presented by Dan Street. Um, um, the, the the project of social democracy hmm. and where it's succeeding, where it's failing. Every time we lose, you know, we all you know become shoegazers and ponder hmm. about why we're getting this all hmm. wrong. And I think about. Um, the Labor parties or social democratic parties in Britain, in Ireland, in uh, Israel, in parts of Western Europe that have, or well, certainly at this moment in time, are struggling. And even federally. The last time we actually chalked up an outright win was in 2007. Yeah. Yet, if you look at the Victorian example, I think we've been in government for 20 out of the last 22 years. Mm. I don't think the numbers for Queensland are much different. Um, and South Australia as well. I know they're out of government at the moment, but I think they've had a great track record of successive Labor governments. What are we doing? But it's done a great job too. There, I think that's that's going to be tight over there. That actually will be. And um, I wish him well because he's a really so. decent bloke, and, yeah. he, and he he wants it for the right the right reasons. He wants it for the people of his state. Yeah. And I reckon they might well they might well give it to him next March. Yeah. Thinking about the Victorian experience, whilst you've been the leader of the party now since two thousand and ten. Um, social Democrats listening to this podcast right now from around the world will mm. be keen to hear your insights about why have we been successful here in Victoria and I, I don't buy into that uh, state politics is different because it's service delivery and that's where Labor governments are good at federally Medicare is a service delivery you know veterans yeah. affairs is service delivery 
uh, education as a service. Well, well let, let, let me kind of agree with you and, 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 and not at the same time. You look at the 80s, you look at all the big reforms, the dollar, markets opening up, so tariffs and quotas going, um, deregulating the banks, deregulating finance, uh, all these big pieces of the puzzle. That work was on the federal cabinet table. It all got done, mm. and it all got done by Labor governments. Now, the Conservatives will say, oh, yes, but we, we, we let it go through. Oh, well, good on you. Yeah. Good on you. What a, what a generous act that you, let, you didn't get in the way, that you didn't frustrate an agenda. You know, what, a, what, a, what an act of benign, you know, good, medals for all of you, you know, even though they've been in government for three decades beforehand. The issue is uh, that was then and this is now. And the big levers of productivity, the big levers of reform, are not with the national government. They're not on the national cabinet table anymore. The big drivers of our standard of living and our quality of life, productivity, uh, and therefore, you know, um, people's, people's prospects, people's sense of security and their options in life and the life opportunities that they'll have, they're all run by the states now. They're all run by the states. Health and education and skills and infrastructure. Federal government not involved in any of those really in a leading in a leading way. Now you say Medicare is a service, and how many hospitals do the Commonwealth run? Mm. Well in Victoria that would be none. Uh, you talk about education and yes there's a big Commonwealth education department and I'm sure they do lots of important things. How many schools do they run? In Victoria that would again zero. So service delivery yes but it's more than that. It's not just because we do it, it's because it's the main game. That's where the big productivity, economic transformation, the jobs of the future, the economy of the future, whatever kind of you know, buzzwords you want to put around it, whatever management speak you want to use, the facts are that the things that move the needle, then you add in family violence and violence against women reform, mental health reform, um, renewable energy, that's a state agenda. Shame on the Commonwealth that it is, yeah. but it is largely a state agenda. So I think you get the point I'm making that all of these big and in significant and timely things that move the needle, uh, they're, all, they're all ours to do. They're all the responsibility of state and territory governments, sub, sub-sovereign um, governments. That's not to say that, that national governments don't have lots of other stuff to do as well, but it's more than just the things that are our responsibility. They're our responsibility and they've never been more important and never been more impactful. Skills is everything, because skills is technology, technology is uh, a proper return on capital, a proper return on capital is a decent profit share, the whole thing is circular, mm. and we have more to say about that agenda than, than any national government that our country's ever had, save and except for that government during the 1980s. The one that the one that the conservatives didn't obstruct, <laughs> you know, that Hawke and Keating government did did so so much good, uh, but they were different times, and now it's for the states to drive that agenda. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. The question I've got for you then is something I've keen. To, I don't. I don't know how useful that is to the Social Democratic Party in Europe, but that's 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 our truth. That's what we know. And that's why we work so hard to do it. Well, talking to those folks and even um, some of our friends on the show from the United States as well, I've always felt that the central uh, tenant or policy driver for a Labor Party or a Labor government should be based around job security and job creation. Yeah. And 
I feel like that isn't what is happening for social democratic parties elsewhere. I don't know if that's, you know, we live thousands of miles away, there's only so much you can read in it. But yeah. like, if you look at the, the Biden administration, mm. uh, pretty new, um, and the squabbling internally within their party to try and get up an infrastructure bill that is greatly needed in terms of if anyone's been in the United States and caught uh, Amtrak or has you know, driven across country, their freeways were wonderful in the 50s. Just go out to LaGuardia. You know, they're, they're, they're rebuilding it now. They're they're air, exactly, like, their airports. Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff, drastically needed overhaul and would create you know, a lot of jobs. They talk about roads and bridges a lot because they're all falling down. Like, yeah. their, their infrastructure is appalling. And, yeah, look... I, Biden, I couldn't do, get, Biden couldn't get that through. He struggled to get that through yeah, his, but, own, his own Congress. Because but they don't, take, they don't take the whip. There's no, there's no discipline. There's no... There's no party line. They're all free agents. They're all free fundraisers. They're, they're like a, and that's what they are. It's a money-making machine. You can't get elected and get re-elected unless you, you know, it's 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 it's, a, it's circus. Would that be the right term? I think it kind of is. Mm. It's a it's a pretty strange polity, and yeah, there's not many lessons for us out of that. Although I would say. Uh, there seem to be in that caucus, in that democratic caucus, there are some who are far more concerned with governing and getting things done, and there are others who are kind of taken in with with the purity of the uh, defeat. Mm. Like it's almost it's almost better to maintain the status quo and the inevitable decline that comes from that, rather than settle for anything less than the perfect mm. policy prescription. That's not my politics. Never ever has been. That's not social democratic politics. That's something far, far more extreme than that. It's ideology. Politics is not about ideology. Politics is about outcomes, values and outcomes. So, you know, it's not for me to lecture anybody, anybody, really. It's, we've got enough time for that. And, and we've been successful, but you're only as good as the last project you delivered. You're only as good as the last job you created. Uh, we've got a lot of work in front of us, and next year it's going to be tough. It'll be tough. It'll be competitive. All elections are... But, you know, this notion that there's two, there's two sides to a progressive movement, there's a job side and then there's a social policy side. Well, I don't want to sound all conservative or rationalist, but the best social policy and the best social support is to be in work that's fairly paid and properly rewarded, where you've got opportunities for advancement, where you're safe and where you can go home at night and have absolute certainty um, that your husband or your wife that you can provide for your family, that you've got security, that you've got certainty. That's, that, that, is, that is a progressive thing if done properly. That's a social democratic thing if done properly. Uh, you know, the notion that there's an economic agenda and then totally separate there's a social agenda, no. Well, that's old thinking. Like, I, like I've stood in plenty of paddocks in pl on plenty of farms and sat there and been told by farmers what I already knew to be the truth. Because my old man told me many years ago, in regional Victoria, the economy and the environment are the same thing. They're the same thing. We've just got to get better at, 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 at outcomes as a movement globally. It's much more about outcome. The argument is important, but only for a certain amount of time. And then you've just got to get something done. And it won't be perfect. It won't be perfect. But you think about where emissions... What, what would our contribution to emissions be today, globally... If the Greens hadn't scuttled mm. some at the time, some very progressive, not perfect, but gee, a lot better than where we find ourselves now, 
carbon carbon policy, our contribution to 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 um, global warming would have been substantially less. And that was ten years ago. Exactly, and that's the thing because you blink. That's just the whole mm-hmm. thing. You blink, and the next thing, a decade's gone. Yeah. A decade of action. Whoops, no. But it wasn't perfect. Yeah, well, nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. And I don't see some of these people running as the perfection party. They run as the, well, you know, we're pure and we're pure and we're pure again. And they get nothing done. They get nothing done. I've just got a much more hopeful outlook than that. Like, if you, if, if you run and you're privileged enough to win, then not only do you have the opportunity, but you have the obligation. You've got to get things done. And you just got to keep push forward, push on and push through. Uh, and get and, and and get things done. That's what that's what you have to do. If there's no urgency to you, well, you won't be around very long because you really won't have achieved anything. And you can stand there and lecture people and say, yes, but I couldn't do it because it wouldn't be a 100% pure and I'd have to compromise and I'd have to do something less than absolute perfection. And and see how that, see how that works for you. I, I, I don't think people warm to that. They just don't. I want to ask a question about uh, community organising. Um, the you know the organisation and mobilisation deployment of thousands of um, labour supporters um, to speak to their neighbours in the months leading up to the election campaign. That's something that um, has been a hallmark of your electoral success, um, in particular if you think about the 2018 landslide um, victory. Um, I was flicking through some uh, photos. I like the way you said that, but anyway, no, it's and well, that's 2018. 2022 will be very. It's a very different set of issues, very different challenge, different time. We're taking nothing for granted, just to, not just for the tape either. We, could, we are not taking anything for granted. You can't. You just can't. You, um, you were the f- first Labor leader in the country to see value in um, the work of community organising. And um, I was flicking through some photos the other day, um, the anniversary of the... Dangerous. Yeah, no, the anniversary. Well, it comes up on your buddy phone. You get no choice. Um, there's a photo... Um, I'm sure you can turn that function off. Can't on, you? Uh, no idea. Um, I'm a Gen X. Um, of you on the phone. I took a photo of you on the phone. You're sitting next to our field director. This is 2018. This is this Friday night before election day. Yeah. And you're on the phone to... In, in Bentley. Uh, is the photo you're referring to, I reckon? No, actually. No? No, we'd already done that, but we'd come back to... And there was that, that dinner that we were having that night, which was deliberately held later in, in the evening because people were still calling and knocking yes. on doors and yes. stuff. And you're on the phone to about 250 volunteer leaders oh, in the right, Community okay. Action Network and yeah. talking to them. But you'd been on the phone, you'd spoken to them at the start of the campaign, and this was the very last conversation you had with them hmm. before Election Day. These volunteer leaders are just finishing up their phone banks or their door knocks, or they might be in a home, but they are the leaders of our grassroots movement. Um, and you were speaking to them intently. Um, and for me, it was a, quite an emotional moment just because the, the journey that you had gone through, you, you're now seeking your second term, um, but you were talking intently to these... You shouldn't have got too emotional, mate. I'm vo- sure I was vo- just on autopilot. Volunteers. You probably were. I, no, I, I was not on autopilot. Well, you know, you, you probably were I, absolutely I was... exhausted. But I just want to see, you know, former party official like myself, um, you saw value in this work where others yeah. didn't. Why was that? Well, I think there's a couple of couple of issues. Uh, writing people letters doesn't work anymore. Uh, uh, politicians bragging about themselves doesn't work anymore. If it ever really, if it ever really did, uh, and and there's and there's strength in people telling real stories about why they're voting Labor and why they're asking you to vote Labor. And I often say, 
you know, uh, that by literally thousands of people out there telling their story, they helped to Vic- they helped Victoria to tell its story, and that was one of, you know, not not settling for government that didn't really do very much, not settling for high unemployment, not settling for for, for any of this kind of mediocre, mean spirited stuff that we could do better. We we are better. We could be we could be a much more we could be much more central to our nation's success and we could get all the simple stuff right and we could take on big and bold issues like violence against women, for instance, or admitting that the mental health system is, is, just, is just broken and then getting about building a new one or being the renewable energy capital of the nation. Uh, you know, state government have, have to do that. Mm. That's apparently the way things <laughs> roll. But anyway, the, the point I'm making is I could see it had great potential. I could see that... Uh, that, that authenticity has always been important, but that very raw, you know, I'm, I'm your neighbour, I'm voting for this candidate, here's why, I hope you can too. That, that's politics at its essence. That's participation, it's involvement, it's, it's very real, it's very, very real, and it's not scripted, it's, mm. it's, it's just authentic. And in a fast-paced world, in a time where, you know, so many things aren't, I always had I always had a sense that this would work. The reason I'm sure I was emotional at the same time as you were at the end of the campaign because we we knew how many calls we'd made, we knew how many door knocks we'd done, we knew how many how many minds we'd changed. Mm. Like we had that we had we'd given people the reasons that that are at the essence of politics. Like what will this mean for me and my kids if I vote this way? And we'd given people not just our spiel but we'd had so many thousands of other people out there telling their stories and relating why, why it wouldn't be a big deal for them and what it would mean for them and their family. That's called... It's, I'm trying to, trying to avoid using the word empowerment, but that kind of, it's kind, of, kind of what it is. Yeah. And the results were there. Yeah. And look, I'd, I'd always say that the, as a former head office official... Uh, no matter how good the delivery mechanism is, no matter how good the tactics are, the product and the strategy need to be good too. And if you'd sat around you know, on, on your ass doing nothing, uh, as others had, uh, just occupying the office, just content to keep labour out, uh, then you know, that, that would have been pretty hard door knocking. It would have been pretty hard street stalling, pretty hard phone calling. But there was a story to tell, but it was enhanced by the fact that it was real people telling it and they were telling it from their perspective. And that kind of connection, that, that matters. It really, really does. So it's going to be a big year of community engagement and grassroots campaigning and good old-fashioned stump uh, politics. Uh, and not just talking about what we've done either, but also mapping out an equally optimistic and positive and bold agenda. Well, that's my last question. So that people have a choice. That's they ha- my job, until the election day, is to govern the place, get do the things we said we'd do and respond to stuff Foreseen and unforeseen, uh, but the bigger the biggest task and the biggest responsibility is to give every Victorian, whether they vote for us or not, a clear choice with a positive plan. It's what we did last time and the time before, and it's what we'll do next year. And that'll be the story for twenty twenty two. Yeah, and and then people, and then it's up to them. Mm. It's up to them. They can stick with a proven team, keep building, keep reforming, uh, keep getting things done, or. Uh, We'll go a different different way, but that that will be their choice, uh, and I'm determined to make sure we've got a good offering on the table. 
And on that note, Daniel, thank you very much for your time tonight. I know you're a busy bloke. Pleasure. But we do appreciate it. And I know all of the uh, listeners of Socially Democratic uh, are grateful for you to come on the show today and have a bit of a yak. And we wish you the best of luck for 2022. And we hope you get a break at some stage over the Christmas period too. I certainly do too. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday.